The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity.fm online radio. My name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm your host. Here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about how spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. So today's topic is the power of will or willpower. Everybody has it, right? But we talk a lot about how it doesn't work very well. We resist the next cookie or an extra helping of pizza or, in our case, that first drink or drug. And we say we have no willpower. Today, joining me for our discussion as we untangle these many facets of will is my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett. Dan, thank you for joining me in exploring this confusing topic today. It's great to be here, and I'm glad to be talking about this. I think it's uh, it's important, and like you say, there is a lot to it. It has a lot of uh, aspects that I hope we'll be able to touch on today. But uh, when I think about it, what occurs to me first, and, and you said it there in the intro, that um, it's probably the most common misconception about addiction is that it's an issue of willpower. You know, if if he or she just had enough willpower, then they could quit if they wanted to. Um, and we understand that uh, that that's a little misguided, and that that concept of of using sort of personal power against the problem itself will solve it. Um, I have come to see that that has not been the case for me, that's for sure. And even in our literature, you know, we read lack of power. That was our dilemma, which can imply perhaps that uh, if we just had more power to aim at the problem, then we could resolve it. But um, again, that hasn't, that hasn't been my experience. What I, what I found personally on my journey is that in uh, in I'll just call it late addiction, you know, in, in the at the end of my active addiction, um, my lack of willpower was very evident to me. It was, uh, you know, it seemed absent, that loss of choice. I've heard addiction described as the loss of the ability to choose, and, and that's definitely what I encountered. But when I got into recovery and got active in recovery community, um, I realized that I still had the power of will. I still had the power of strength, but that I needed to point those things not at the problem, but at the solution. 
And well, that is what has made all the difference in the world for me. I think that's a really good point because I, growing up, I remember being taught things like um, perseverance. It's a matter of willpower. You just don't want to. You've got to try harder. And so yes. for me, it became a, a situation of try one more time, just keep going. And um, when, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, I haven't looked far enough. I haven't tried the right angle yet. I, I haven't been able to um, uh, finagle my way around this. And the the problem I had is that in being raised in that mindset, you know, enculturated in that mindset that I just have to try harder and longer, uh, just meant that I beat my head against the wall longer because it didn't give away when I was aiming it at the wrong thing, you know, Uh when I was aiming it at the uh, problem instead of at the solution. And so by the time I got into the program, it was a similar situation as what you just described, which is I had tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed to quit, you know, and and which is why people say, why can't I just stop? Because I try really hard. I just don't have enough willpower. So to Mm -hmm. your point, I think it is very misunderstood. Yeah, I, I get that, and, and I still see that. And in a way, I'm surprised, um, you know, having having been around in the recovery world for a little while, um, I, I think I had kind of got the impression that, oh, you know, everyone is realizing these things that I'm realizing. And, of course, that's not true. And uh, I'm, I'm still always surprised, though, when I, when I run into that attitude that says, um, you know, if, if the person really wanted to quit, they could. Or like you're saying, they're not trying hard enough. They just need to try again. Uh, those what are really, when we're talking about a, an addiction, are, are really fruitless efforts. They, they just don't work in my experience and in the experience of people that I've spoken with. But I like this um, quote from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore. He defines the power of will. Now, will, of course, is one of unity's 12 powers, um, and the power of will is defined as the ability to choose, decide, command, lead, determine. It's the directing power of the mind, so that decision-making. And, of course, that's different than um, strength. When we talk about strength, that's just like that's a you know raw energy to power through something to push through to persevere um, but will is the ability to make a choice and i think that uh, our ability to choose is really the key to a, a leading a life that is happy joyous and free and that our addiction was uh, a great example of the loss of choice i lost the the ability to choose surrounding alcohol was gone and i needed to point my decision making ability my will and my strength not again not at alcohol or at uh, my habits but rather at the solution where it worked really well i think that's a good point our uh, our society teaches us not how to refocus our mind most of the time. I mean, I think we're getting more tools in in that way now, but you know, we come in the program and we hear about stinking thinking. Right. And that to me is the epitome of of the problem. I am thinking about the wrong things. I don't know how to think about anything differently because 
by the time I arrive, I have sunk into habits of thought that and patterns of thought that I may not even recognize as being dysfunctional or destructive to to myself. And so awareness for me is the first piece of that. What am I thinking? You know, and sometimes I don't know that until I trace it back from well, I was feeling this, and before I was feeling this, I was thinking that, and what caused me to think that was this event that happened. And then I started recognizing this is the path I always take. This is mm. the path my brain always goes. And that is where I had to interrupt this because I, would, I could not change the focus of my thoughts until I could catch myself going down the wrong path. Yeah. And that's, I think that's critically important because uh, what I'm hearing you point at is really a maybe the central uh, concept in uh, the unity's worldview and understanding of of, of the divine and uh, and of humanity is that the way that we change our life experience. So we change. Um, and for me, that means not quite so much what happens, but how I respond to what happens, which, of course, in itself will over time tend to change what happens to me, is by changing our thinking. That's sort of the core of the whole thing, the ability to choose our thoughts even when, like you described, we lived in a, at a, at a part of our life where maybe that was a foreign concept. I didn't understand about, oh, I can I can consider this thing differently. I can choose to see it differently. I can choose a different action that comes up. And that uh, is the, the turning point, I believe. And that's where, you know, we can use our power of will because that's our, our decider, if you will. That's our ability to choose, um, use it in a more skillful manner. And perhaps even in a manner we were unaware that we had the capability of. I agree with that. I was recalling that when um, I think for a very long time, I a lot longer than I even want to admit, I in the twelve step program was confused. Um, I misread or misunderstood lack of power was our dilemma to mean I had no power in my life, mm. that I was powerless over my life. And the events in my life and um, my thinking and my health and a number of other things were going directions that I was not happy with. And I was not able to make a change no matter how many meetings I went to, no matter how many people I sponsored, no matter how many times I reworked the steps because of that base misunderstanding that I was powerless over my life instead of understanding I'm only powerless over this aspect of my life, this one aspect. Yes, uh, I see that. And um, what I recall about that is the statement is that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, not over everything. And powerless over alcohol when I put it in my body is when I'm powerless over it. And that's true today. I mean, even I'll think, uh, you know, using a silly example, if I uh, went and got higher education in poisonous substances, I could get a PhD in the chemistry of poisonous substances. I could learn everything there is to know about it. I'm still powerless over it if I put it in my body. If I take poison, I'm going to die, no matter what I know. 
So that powerless no, powerlessness, um, you know, meant to be over alcohol, I can see how. And, and maybe it's because we're so, um, you know, ground down, I guess. By the time we come into recovery, it's, you know, for me, it was sort of the last, you know, it's the last thing I wanted to do. But it was the first thing that worked. And, um, you know, maybe we get down on ourselves during that time. And it's easy to see that statement about powerlessness over alcohol as a general powerlessness because um, I think we can, and uh, I know that I did, coming into it feel, in a sense, like a failure in life. Like, I can't do it. You know, which, that's a whole other topic. Where did I get the idea that I you know, and me alone was going to be able to find a way to beat this thing. Um, that's a little silly, but you know, to come in and feeling defeated, um, I can see how one would look at that statement of, of powerlessness over alcohol and kind of apply it to other places in our life. You know, I think a lot of us feel that way. Like life is just happening to us. Like we're a leaf floating down a stream and we have no influence. I think we often turn turn our power of choice over to other people as well. And whether that's enculturation or it's our codependency or or whatever it is, you know, we turn our, our um care of our health over to the healthcare professionals. Um, you know, we turn our diet over who's ever doing the cooking. We we turn over our relationships to to whomever it is that seems to be the stronger one in the in the pair and you know, we I think that in many, many times we turn our our power over um, in our lives. At least I did. And one of the places I had to start reclaiming that power was that power of choice, you know, which is really what we're talking about here is I have a choice about whether I accept what somebody else says about my health or whether I question it. You know, right. I, ha- I have a power of choice about what I put in my body irrespective of alcohol or drugs. You know, I get to choose if I'm going to have sugar or not. I get to choose if I'm going to have gluten or not. And that's my choice. And I suffer the consequences thereof of those choices. But owning my own power has been a process for me, which is based on realizing that I have a choice. Yeah, I think that's a, a central discovery to make. And and of course the the quote from the big book um, lack of power was our dilemma is in the section where Bill's talk writing about um, a higher power and uh, the the implication there that uh, we cannot do this recovery thing alone and I, I've learned a while ago and 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 found it to be the case that while nobody can do my work, my recovery work or my inner work for me, I also can't do it alone. So it's this paradox of, um, you know, the individual, my own thinking, my own efforts and participation in the community because participation in the community alone might sort of kick the can down the road um, for somebody in recovery, but really when we talk about being sober as opposed to not drinking, I have a friend that says some days I'm sober and some days I just don't drink. And I get that, um, that we can, uh, end up not really understanding where we're going with all of that. It also reminds me of, um, 
this concept of willfulness, which is a, which is a strange term because it, it's like stubbornness, right? And we're talking about will as uh, the ability to choose. And I, I guess we could look at willfulness or stubbornness is the is the refusal to decide otherwise. Though I think for me, when when that has come up, it might be more of a uh, lack of seeing how to choose otherwise or or lack of um you know experience with or skills with making different choices so we can end up doing the same thing over and over like you said beating our head against the wall because uh we're unaware of any other way to go about it so we can end up being stubborn and willful in recovery i know that i still can be um when i you know, when I'm doing something or want to make a change in my life and I know what the better choice is, but I refuse to make that choice, I'm just being stubborn for whatever reason. You know, and that reminds me of open-mindedness because when I am being willful, I am not being open-minded. I am not willing to entertain some other choice, just like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I think uh, even when I see the other choice, I don't like it and I don't want to do it. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Even though I can see it. So the awareness, I think, is a big piece, as you mentioned, that um, until I know that's what's going on, I do not have the ability to choose something different, Um, which is, for me, where community comes in. You know, and that's what happened to me when I encountered a unity community is I saw that there was a different way to look at power and to look at the ability to choose. Um, that it that I wasn't limited, you know. We teach that that we are unlimited spiritual beings, right. and that I can appropriate divine power and direct it accordingly to improve my life. Yes, absolutely. And I I feel like I had a similar experience when I discovered uh, a Unity Church that that very different way of looking at things because. Um, I think it's it's easy to get locked into a um, victim or victor um, way of seeing, which, you know, w- when it comes to things like power, you're either the one with the power or you're the one without the power. And it becomes a very black and white uh, linear way of, of seeing things. And what I discovered in the Unity Church was that whole concept of the power, uh, understanding God as the source of all power and understanding my relationship uh, to all all of that such that I can use that. And I think this, again, comes up in our 12-step recovery. We need a higher power in order to um, walk down this path and to be successful in our spiritual growth um, as we move ahead um, that, that we can begin to rely on and employ in a way uh, use or bring to bear um, that power that is greater than our individual self, um, bring that to bear on the situation to support us in making new decisions when it's time, or even, you know, uh, making the decision to figure out what other things that could be decided. You know, there, there are layers to it like that. And even when we talked about stubbornness, I am, uh, it's not that I, when I'm stubborn, I don't have the power to choose. 
I see the choice. I just am choosing not to. And that in itself is a way of exercising my ability to choose, of course, by digging in my heels, which is a choice that I make. But we can choose to look to our own concept of God, whatever that might be. We can choose to look there for that which we may feel like we're missing. Uh, I would maintain that uh, we're not missing it as much as we have not yet uncovered or discovered it, whatever it may be. It being the power or the ability to use that power? All the above, yeah. Mm -hmm. Option, you know, um, limitlessness. It's a long word. Lack of limits is something that we teach in unity as well, which is not to mean that, um, you know, I could literally go outside and jump over a 10-story building. That's not what that means. It means uh, I need to be careful about putting about limiting beliefs that I carry and, and been probably unaware of. So becoming more aware of things. And like you said earlier, not, I don't have to accept what is told to me. I can choose to question it. I can say, okay, well, this person says X and uh, I'm not sure if that makes sense to me or not. Let me go talk to two other people about that and get some perspective. And maybe I find out that, you know, person A was was right on, and, and it just took me a while to see it differently. Or maybe I find out that, you know, there's more than one way to go about this, and, and I'm finding the way that works for me, which is probably different than uh, what works for some other people, at least. I, I was just reminded that um, something I learned about myself in recent years, after I've been in recovery for quite a while, is that it does not matter who proposes a different choice, nor what the content of that choice is. My first reaction is always, nope, not going to work. <laughs> really? Yeah, and, and it's been quite a startling discovery And because now I've, I have to look back on different choices that I made in my life and look at how many times have I sabotaged myself because I was unaware that that's my initial reaction. Uh. And, um, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to ponder, which I don't spend a lot of time on now because, of course, I can't change the past. But when I feel that coming up, I am aware today. And when I feel that coming up, I get to exercise the power of will now and make a choice about pausing, about not saying anything, about uh, saying, well, I need to sleep on it. Let me think about it. I need to pray about this. Let me take it to meditation. Let me check with some other folks. Um, because I have realized that my, I don't know whether I want to call it denial or resistance or stubbornness or what we want to call it, but that thing that comes up when presented with an, another option um, is a, is a, it sabotages, it has the potential to sabotage the good things that are happening, whether it's my recovery or something else in my life. And so that's been a fairly recent discovery for me. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I, I have, um, I feel like a similar resistance to new ideas, you know, new paths, because um, kind of one of my uh, deep-seated or historically present patterns of thinking is that I don't trust something if I don't understand it. Mm. And so when presented with a new idea, I mean, 
hey, you know, much of the time, there's probably a good chance that I don't completely understand something right when I first encounter it. Of course not. And so uh, that would tend to keep me in old habits because I'm going to go with what I know. You know, I'm going to go with what I trust, and I trust what I understand, and so I understand this other thing. And so it's been a process for me to um, be able to encounter other ways of seeing or other ways of doing things and not have to feel like I need to understand this right now or else I, you know, I can't engage with it at all, but to let it remain open to say, Oh, uh, you know, that maybe I might even think that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I don't really believe that, but, um, you know, let me let me leave that question open instead of closing the door. You know, I, I don't have to walk through it right away, and I realize I don't have to close it. I think I thought I had to do one of those two. I can uh, just leave the door open and see what comes up from it. What I've discovered is you know, all kinds of wonderful things. Now, that doesn't mean that, that everything I encounter is right for me, but it does mean that I have a lot more to choose from when I'm willing to uh, stay open to possibility and sit in what for me is uh, a place of discomfort, um, you know, entertaining or holding a concept or an idea that I don't understand is uncomfortable for me. So I've had to do some retraining of my mind along those lines. That's a really great point because I think that that's, uh, for me, a big a big part of, you know, sitting in the discomfort, sitting with the question, not even just from a means of not understanding, but from a means of not having whatever information I think I have to have at this point, the ability to be uncomfortable. I think that's a core thing with, with people, at least the, some of the people that I know with, with addictions, is we don't like to be uncomfortable. Right. Probably, no, probably no human likes to be uncomfortable. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, uh, my modus operandi was let's get rid of this discomfort. And so learning to tolerate the discomfort of not knowing or of fear or of a new idea untested or unresearched has been a journey. Yes. Yeah. So we have about a minute before we have to uh, take a break. And you're listening to Unity Online Radio with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. So, Dan, when we come back from the break, uh, we'll resume our conversation about the power of will. Please stay with us. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit Unity Online Radio and click on Mobile Listening.
God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, your host, and I'm here with my guest, Tricia B. We're going to resume our discussion in just a moment. Um, but we first want to summarize what we've talked about a little bit. She's had this journey into recovery that encompassed uh, many years in the Catholic Church, and then she found her own addiction and found that she couldn't get what she needed there. So, Trish, we were talking about your uh, entry into the program and into Unity, um, the Unity Church. Okay. So one of the things that was extremely important at the beginning. I, I think I shared earlier that I was someone that did what um, people told me to do. And I remember being told you need to have a sponsor. And that was really scary because I didn't trust anybody. I, it was hard enough to like share in meetings, but to think about um, being able to trust someone. And it was also a fear of being rejected that if I asked someone that they might um, reject me. So part of my discharge from therapy was that I needed to have a sponsor. So um, I also had someone in my home group who every week I would see him. And I want to say that I did 90 meetings in 90 days. I encourage people to do that. Um, I think that's extremely important. And so in order to do that 90 and 90, I traveled around to lots of different groups besides my home group, and I would see this same guy, Brett, over and over and over. And every week or every meeting, he would say, you have a sponsor yet? 
no. And he'd take me up to these women and he would give me, you know, okay, she needs a sponsor. And then he'd leave me in this circle of women. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and eventually I got tired of him asking. And so I wanted to be able to say yes. So I finally asked a woman to be my sponsor. And she said yes. And we began really officially working the steps. And um, I've continued. For me today, the sponsor is about having a spiritual guide, and I continue to have spiritual guides in my life. That was extremely important. Um, sponsorship is about being able to find someone who has what you want. Um, the person that I initially chose was Gloria, and she had several years in recovery. Um, she appeared to know what she was talking about. She appeared to be walking the walk um, and not just talking it. And so I, again, I would meet with her on a regular basis. I would um, see her at meetings. We worked the steps together. And that was very inspirational for me because despite my ongoing struggles, and, you know, I, I talk about, um, you know, not ever going back out and using again, but I sure thought about it. And there would be lots of times where I wanted to use and being able to call on Gloria and being able to ask her, you know, what should I do? We'll get to a meeting. That was always the first thing, get yourself to a meeting. Um, and so having that guide and that prompt and that support, learning from her how she discovered God and what worked for her, um, all of those things really helped me along that path. Um, it was my second sponsor that encouraged me to go to Unity. And, um, you know, sponsorship sometimes, like my first sponsor, and I don't really remember now, like, what happened. It wasn't like a falling out. Um, I think life just got really busy, and we weren't able to connect as frequently. And so I found another sponsor that um, that's closer to me that I could meet more frequently with. And being able to continue on that spiritual journey. And she's the one that directed me towards um, unity and being able to... Um, unity also helped me, like, begin to connect with people. Um, I remember early on also in my meetings feeling like I wanted to belong. I, I felt like I belonged, but I wanted to be a part of. I wasn't... I was very shy, very um, introverted, withdrawn, and I wanted to be able to reach out and talk to people, and I didn't know how to do that. So I would hang around after meetings and just kind of hope somebody would, like, talk to me, um, or else I would dart out after a meeting. And I remember somebody coming up to me and saying, um, you know, maybe one of the things you could do after a meeting is help pick up coffee cups and um, empty ashtrays, and, and I'm like... <laughs> Why should I do that? <laughs> but my first response is like, what a smoke? Why should I be doing that? And um, But I did it because, and what happened is then people started coming up to me. I'd be kind of cleaning up and people would come up to me and talk to me. And that kind of helped break that ice. Um, and so the same thing would happen at church. I took that lesson that I learned from um, NA when I would go to Unity. And so instead of just running out afterward, Maybe I would stay in the sanctuary and pick up bulletins or pick up coffee cups or, you know, look around and see if there was something that I could do that would help out. And so that allowed me to meet new people and kind of get over myself. And so that's um, really that, that connection to service that you just mentioned yeah. is really a tool to help us um, in life. Yes, yes. It's extremely important today to be of service to other people. 
Um, being a professional counselor now, I'm able to do that in a professional way, and yet I continue to do that in my individual um, life, volunteering. Um, I, you know, meet with people on a, you know, outside the counseling part to help them through their recovery. It's extremely important to me to pay it forward, and I frequently tell people that, that, you know, if you want to um, make a difference for yourself, pay it forward. Think about what you can do for somebody else, and it it pays off in immense rewards for myself and the fact that there's people out there that I know are getting something and planting seeds is what I remember being taught is to plant some of those seeds, both in spiritual life with, you know, 12 step programs. I, um, it's important for me to, to share with people that you're perfect just as you are in my line of work. That's one thing people often come to me feeling broken, feeling like there's just no hope for them. And I continue to reflect and hold that sacred space that unity taught me that you're perfect just like you are. And the good is there. We just need to uncover it. It's gotten buried by the beliefs that you've learned growing up or the beliefs that the world has taught you. That goodness is there. Let's help dig that out and find that beauty within yourself because we all have that. We've all got the not-so-pretty side, too. I choose to focus on the, the prettier side of life for myself and um, and reflect that for other people as well. So, yeah, being of service um, in church, um, in, you know, the 12-step programs, just in life in general is extremely important to me. So you I talked about uh, even after being in recovery for a while and even after – attending church for a while, and even after learning how these principles overlap and different tools that you can use um, to assist yourself that you occasionally still had these thoughts of using? Oh, yes, yes. Um, So I just recently celebrated 29 years, and a couple of months before that, um, probably about three months before that, I can remember thinking, you know what? I kind of miss wine. I was reading some book, and they were talking about different wines, and I thought that, that like, triggered that thought for me is, you know, I really miss that. I bet you I could drink. And I played with that thought and played with that thought. I Googled, can a recovering addict start drinking? <laughs> I, I, I looked for everything, and I can remember at one point, like, Googling something and going, Okay, Trish, isn't that called like rationalization and denial? Isn't you know, think back on those early days. Didn't they warn you about this? That no matter how much time you've got, those thoughts come back. And so what is it that you need to do here, Trish? Because I might be able to do that. I don't know. I am not gonna take the chance is what I decided. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to take that risk, so what do you need to do instead? One of them was to go to a meeting, so I went to a meeting. One of them was to then verbalize these thoughts of wanting to use, and so I shared that in the meeting. I shared that with my support system at church. I shared it with my son. I I made it public that this is what I'm thinking, and I don't want to do it. And being able to do that gave me this awareness, again, of you're not – you don't have this – there's not an end to this journey in that way that 
you're never, at least for me, I don't think that there's going to be a time where I can guarantee that I'm never going to read. Because I came very close to it, and I am positive that if I would have started drinking wine, I may have been able to do that for a week. It would not have been very long before I'd be coming home from work, having a few glasses of wine, extending to the weekend. I'm positive I would do that. Um, and so I was really just, that that's that addiction talking to me, even with 29 years. You can do that. You can do that. It's okay. It's okay. Look at all the therapy you've done. Look at all the meetings you've gone to. You go to church. You meditate. You've got this great relationship with, you know, it, it's that that part of myself that still is there. And um, so, I, you know, I share that with people that, for me at least, I, I think, you know, that that thought of wanting to use again is highly likely to come back. That's probably not the only time that that's going to come back for me. And so that is why, you know, when I when I work with people in recovery um, or working at thinking about going into recovery, wanting to stop, I that's why I talk about doing 90 meetings in 90 days. Because if I did not have that spiritual foundation of the 12-step programs, I would not have found unity, I don't think. Um, I would not have the relationship with God that I have now. I would not have the people in my life that I would have now. And at 29 years almost of recovery, would not have known those tools to go back to. But I remember being taught early on, don't ever forget how awful it was when you came into the program. And I've, I've I've kept that. I can I can go back to that moment. I can see myself. I can realize those feelings, that negative self talk. And I don't ever want to be that person again. I don't ever want to go back to that. So it's not worth the chance of having a glass of wine. It cannot possibly be worth that. I've gained so much. And I shared earlier about being uh, my first meeting, being a speaker meeting. And I remember one of the people was celebrating five years and thinking, "Oh my gosh." There's no way I can do that. One day was just like barely manageable. And people would say, all we have is today. And I firmly believe that, that, you know, on the calendar, I may have all those years, but really all I have is this moment right here, right now, because I don't know what's going to happen the rest of today. I cannot guarantee that I won't relapse later today. I just know right this moment, I'm not using, and right this moment, I'm using tools to prevent a future relapse. I'm doing everything that I can possibly do today to keep that from happening, and I'm not doing it by myself. So what are your favorite tools? Well, I think um, I do, I meditate, I do a lot of contemplative prayer, I continue to attend church, I continue to... um, read the 12-step materials. I attend meetings once in a while. I don't go nearly as frequently as I used to, Um, but that foundation is still there. I rely on people. I um, find people that can support me that are also, um, and it may not necessarily be recovery from addiction, but I know one of the things I love about unity is there's, there's other what I call recovering Catholics. There's other people that are recovering from lots of different things and we all have something in common in that we're trying to heal and and develop a stronger connection with God and that's that tribe that group that support system 
is immensely important to to me. And that's one of the things that I continue to rely on, as I said, being able to share with people, I'm thinking about using. What's crazy about that after all these years? And knowing that if you don't want that to happen, you've got to rely on that support system. Swallow your pride and admit, I'm wanting to use and move on. That, that, that Those thoughts don't have to have that power over you. So remembering that it's not done alone, that I've got the support of God. I've got, and God works through all these people in my life. He works through you, Lonnie, and, you know, reaching out to me today. And I think if somebody out there hears a little bit and gets a little bit of a seed planted, then good. That's all I'm here for today is just to plant those seeds. So knowing that I've got that support system, um, that's definitely huge. Reminding myself that God is in me, that I don't have to look outside of myself for something to fix me. And that's what the alcohol was trying to do, that that's going to fix me. The relationships, the sex, the shopping, the food, all of those things, they were going to fix me. They were going to make me okay. And realizing that God is within me, um, I remember crying at a unity service when I heard that message multiple times that God is in you, that you're perfect just as you are, and God doesn't need to forgive you for anything because he sees you just as you are. And that was such a relief and difficult to believe at some point. I remember about three or four years ago, I was um, gone with a friend to a, uh, a monastery, and we were in their church, and um, it was a monastery and a convent, and the nuns were having their service, and they said that we could stay at the back. So I was sitting towards the back with my friend, and we were um, meditating throughout this service. And at one point in the Catholic service, there's a a statement that we repeat like multiple times, um, that I am not worthy to receive your gifts, Lord. And I remember hearing that in this service, and my eyes like popped open. I was like, No wonder I think that I'm no good. I heard that for years, Mm -hmm. every every day for years, and then every Sunday for years. No wonder I thought something was wrong with me. And Mm -hmm. that's not what the purpose of that was, I don't believe, but that's how I interpreted it. That's, That's what was, you know, interpreted for myself at that. And so no wonder you thought something was wrong with you. You heard that message over and over and over again. And so to and come so, to unity and <laughs> find out, no, that's not true. So how do you know what to believe? Um, I go within and I do, um, I believe what is right for my spiritual truth. I share that with the people that I work with, that I believe we each have our own spiritual truth within us. I'm not judging anybody else's um, journey or path on this. There's a great book I remember studying in a, in a class. Um, I think it's like The Seven Spiritual Paths to God, and it talks about nature, and it talks about all these different ways that we can find God. And I strongly believe that's true for me, for everybody, is I find God in my own way and how I believe may not believe be how you believe. It, it's okay. We're Our goal is to become um, closer and closer to God, and however that happens for you, I respect that, 
and I will do what I can to support you on your journey. So I think knowing there's a sense of peace within me. Um, again, for me, it's, there's such a um, visceral response when I'm like meditating or I'm out in nature and I'm just like, oh, wow, this is like unbelievable, God, that you created this, this and, and created me and created my dog. And um, so whatever's right for me, it, it's definitely a very physical sense of peace and calm when I know that I have found that truth within me. Well, thank you for sharing that. Journey. And um, you have a website, and um, if you're willing to share that and your contact information, if we have any listeners that would like to talk further with you, um, could they do that? Yes, definitely, yes. So the website is npcs.com. It's New Perspective Counseling Services. So npcs.com, and my email is beach, B-E-A-C-H, at npcs.com. And I would be happy to help people um, respond to questions, just let people know. I think that's um, one of the, the strengths that I gain from all of my time is that we don't do this alone. I think that's the thing that I, I, I tell people over and over. I told this to a gentleman that's been struggling on, on getting sober, and I said, you know what, dude, you help other people immensely. You're not letting anybody help you. You need to step back, allow people in, allow somebody else to help you. And that he took that to heart and has been clean, he said, 13 days now. So thank you, God. Cool. It was a seed that was planted. And mm-hmm. I know that, that that's a seed that was planted in me. So we don't do these things alone. So are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share? We've got about a minute left. Um, anything that you want people to remember particularly? Um, I would say, so stay open-minded and be willing to listen to other options um, to try and step out of our own belief system and explore what somebody else might be saying, what they might be recommending, and find out if that's true for you. Um, That's one of the things I loved about Unity. It was always, you know, take this in and ask yourself if that's what's what's true for you. So to be open to exploring and to find however you can find the support that you need on this journey, whatever that looks like for you, um, God sends people in our lives to support and encourage us, and they show up in all different shapes, forms, sizes. So find that spiritual community for yourself to help you through this recovery journey. It's worth it. So one other thing that I, that just, like, I touched on earlier was about the sexual abuse and um, how that impacted me. And um, I think that really was one of the reasons why I began to drink so heavily is that um, when things like that happen, we, um, for myself, I, there was this deep sense of shame that something must be wrong with me that this is going on. And so the drinking, the drug use, all of that was really to cover up the um, belief that something was wrong with me because who wants to feel like something's wrong with them, right? But if I could be drunk or I could be high, then things are good. And so that something wrong kind of goes away for a little while. And when I got clean, that was a that was a big part of my journey as well as I had to learn how to recover from that. I had to learn how to forgive my father for that, Um 
that that was a huge difficult process, and that was also something that both the twelve step programs um, unity helps me with that that belief of forgiveness. I would never have imagined that I would have been able to forgive my dad, and yet I can say today that I've been able to do that that I'm not grateful that it happened, and yet because of that, I'm able to help lots and lots of people. I was a school teacher, um, and being able to help those kids and see those kids that something was like not quite right with them, I could see myself and continue to help people. So that's been another huge part of my recovery is being able to um, remain in therapy and work through that um, sexual abuse because I think for anyone who's ever been sexually abused, the impact of that, it still impacts me in a lot of ways today. And I continue to address that um, just through church, through unity, through my own therapy, my own journaling and praying and meditating that that is a healing process. And I encourage people to... um, not be afraid to look at that and to share that with people because part of that is about shame when we're sexually abused. The message is that something's wrong with us and it's too shameful to even admit that it's gone on, so we pretend like it hasn't. We don't tell people. And um, I remember being told in 12-step programs that we're only as sick as our secrets. So not keeping those secrets, being as honest with yourself as you can being as honest with other people um, is an, a big part of my recovery as well. And I think that's why I appreciate unity because there's people that are all walks of life and all circumstances and experiences that are willing to share their own hurts and how they've moved past those and don't let that um, control their lives anymore. So I I think you made a really important point when you talked earlier about trust. Um because to to share your secrets requires some level of trust. Definitely. Yeah. I remember being that was one reason I wouldn't go to therapy because I was afraid they were gonna think I was crazy and be locked up somewhere. Um and I remember the first time I told a therapist, I was probably about five years clean before I admitted it to anybody. I was working on a fourth step, and that came out in that. So, yes, that trust is scary, and we have to take that leap of faith and go with our gut that it will be okay. God's going to bring people that we can trust, that we can rely on. and Well, thank okay. you again for sharing all of the information and the personal experience that you've shared. I know you'll help others because of that. And so thank thank you, you, listeners, as well. And you can join us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and again next week at 4 p.m. Central on Tuesday at Unity Online Radio. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality 
spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.